Good morning. I was actually going to read that for you, but I thought I would slop my dripper. So I decided I would uh, let her do that. Wasn't she cute? Actually, the story of the Bible is the story of a prince, a brave prince who leaves his home in order to rescue his beloved from the dangers of severe evil. That's the story of the Bible. And we're going to spend the next weeks in one portion of the Bible, the book of Ephesians. And so if you have your Bibles today, uh, I'd like you to turn to Ephesians 1, and then I'd like you to turn also to Acts 19. We're going to mostly be in Acts today, uh, because we want to talk a little bit about this epistle to the Ephesians. Say Ephesians. Ephesians are people who lived in Ephesus. And in Ephesians 1, 1, we read Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ. Those words, in Christ, are going to become crucial to our understanding of this portion of God's Word. In Christ occurs 15 times in the six chapters in the epistle to the Ephesians. Paul is writing uh, this letter, and he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you would begin a letter 2,000 years ago if you were writing it in, in the language of Greek. Now let's look at this idea of how in the world Ephesians came to be. This is the Mediterranean area at the time of the New Testament. It's very similar today. And Paul went on three missionary journeys. So after today, if you don't know anything else, you know how many missionary journeys were there? Three. First came the first missionary journey, then the second missionary journey, and then the third missionary journey. Am I going too fast? You with me, guys? Okay. Here's the cool thing. The first journey lasted two years, the second journey lasted three years, and the third journey lasted four years. Got that? So how long was the first journey? Second journey was how long? Third journey was how long? If Paul had gone on a fourth missionary journey, how long would it have been? No question about it. Paul, after the three missionary journeys, ends up in prison in Rome. Rome is over here in Italy, and uh, still there today, and Paul writes the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, to the church that he starts in Ephesus, and Ephesus is right here, over here on the, on the west coast of the Aegean Sea. So he writes to this church, he actually starts the church on the third missionary journey. Now Ephesus is a very, very important city at the time of the New Testament. And Paul writes the book of Ephesians to explain to the Christians there how they can survive in the world in which they live. The great thing is that the world in which the Ephesians lived is very, very similar to the world that we live in today. There's a great emphasis on uh, wealth and a great emphasis on spirituality. The city of Ephesus was famous for one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Diana. Diana was the Greek goddess, and she was given the name Artemis uh, by the Ephesians, by the Romans later on. In fact, we're going to see before the end of Acts 19 that 30,000 people filled the amphitheater in Ephesus, screaming, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Uh, Supposedly, the goddess Diana had descended down from heaven hundreds of years B.C. and was the protector of the city. She was in no way the only god or goddess of the day. In fact, we know of at least 50 gods that were worshipped in and around the city of Ephesus. So people are very, very much interested in spirituality. Interestingly enough, today when you visit Ephesus... Uh, That's really all that's left. Just the one pillar remains from the Temple of Diana. It was torn down by the Goths in about 300 A.D., and a lot of the stones were used in other buildings around 
around the area. So there are very few remains of any of the seven wonders of the ancient world except for the pyramids. Uh, but Ephesus is a great place to visit. Anybody ever been there? Awesome. It's, it's the greatest archaeological site that I've ever seen because the city was buried by an earthquake in about 150 to 200 A.D. and it stayed hidden until 1882. And so when they excavated the site, the, the city was in just pristine condition. Let me show you some of what you see when you visit Ephesus. That is an actual highway, and it's called the Highway to the Sea. They used to be right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, but over the 2,000 years since, the, the harbor silted up. Ephesus was the capital of Asia, and they had a harbor, and they had access to the road system of the Romans, huge highway system, and they had a river. So commerce was big, wealth was important, and the gods of all the ancient world were basically worshipped in Ephesus. Another thing that you find in Ephesus is the library. The uh, library at Ephesus had, was the third largest of antiquity after the one in uh, Alexandria, Egypt, and the second biggest was at Pergamos. But the Ephesian library was full of not only scientific and geographical and historical literature, they had a lot of incantations and prayer books. And again, just as in our world, spirit world spirituality is very, very uh, important. If you go to Amazon.com and type in a search for spiritual, uh, they, will, they will give you a quarter of a million listings on spiritual books. Uh, we have movies like The Matrix, which are famous. Harry Potter is making a killing. Uh, what are the uh, werewolf movies? Twilight? Oh, how many girls love Twilight? It's all about... Yeah, I'm sorry. It's all about the supernatural. There's a hunger in our hearts for something that is supernatural. That's why Oprah's so famous. In a sense, she's the high priesthood of spirituality. Oprah basically says it's not important who you pray to, it's just important that you pray and that we're spiritual creatures. And in their world, they understood that the spirit and the body went together. In our world, we separate them. You know, you take your body to the doctor and you take your spirit uh, to the psychologist or to the pastor. But in their world, it was one and the same. And, and we live in a world very much like that. In our world, uh, spirituality is everything. And, and 30 years ago, it was not like that. But now, very few atheists are around. Very few people stomp the, the central Florida plains declaring themselves to be atheists. It's just not cool. What's cool is spirituality, and that was cool at Ephesus at well. Now, they not only uh, were interested in education and spirituality, they were interested in one other thing, personal hygiene. These are the toilets in the bathhouse at Ephesus. And actually, that's one of four sides around a big room that was larger than this stage. There was running water under those toilets. They had running water in Ephesus. They had great architecture and art. And the, and the men of the day would come in the morning and drink their coffee. They would spread their robes out over the cold marble seats. Imagine that. And there was incense burning. That took away some of the bad odor. But they also had stringed instruments playing off in the corner. And they would do business there in the bathroom. Kind of like today, you know, the women all go off to the bathroom. I think that's what's going on in there. They're, they're creating business deals in the bathrooms. got to be going on because they're in there forever, and they never go alone. It's a very scary thing. But the men of Ephesus had, had an incredible wealth and aristocracy and way about them. It was really just up the street from the, uh, from the library and around the corner from the city brothel. And then around the corner from the brothel, uh, was, uh, was some other stuff. Ephesus is important in, in the history of the church. This is the marker for the Apostle John's grave. You know, the, the church history people tell us that the Apostle John became the pastor in Ephesus, and he's buried in a basilica 
uh, just up the road from that bathhouse. And also Mary, the mother of Jesus, lived with John during the last years of her life. And there's a church built over her home and her tomb where she's apparently buried as well. Real good history on John, not quite as good a history on Mary, but uh, pretty good, pretty good tradition there. I've been blessed to be able to go there a bunch of times, and uh, my favorite place to go is the theater. This is a stadium. I mean, this seats about 30,000 people. And again, because it was buried for almost 2,000 years, when they excavated it, it was in this pristine condition. Some of the stones down on the floor are from the original marble that was there. And you can stand down in the middle where that little dot is, and I've stood there, and uh, where that guy is, you can be heard in the very uppermost row. I did it a few years ago with two of my buddies. We affectionately called ourselves the Three Amigos. And uh, we're thinking about this. I've got a trip coming up in October, and we're thinking about actually putting together a trip uh, to the Missionary Journeys of Paul. So it would be a cruise, and, uh, and we would go to the Greek islands, and we would go to Ephesus, and we would go to Patmos, and we would start and end in Athens. If that, if that is something you'd be interested in, I'd like to know, or Rick Rickart would set that up, and it would save me a, a having to fly over there a second time. I'm really excited about staying over there and doing this part of the trip. I've got an Israel group before that, but I, I do love to go to the sites where the biblical events occurred. And after Israel, there's no place I'd rather be than the missionary journeys of Paul, particularly uh, the city of Ephesus. By the way, how many journeys were there? How long is the first journey? How long is the second journey? Very good. Third journey? And then Paul goes to jail and he writes from prison the book of Ephesus. Now I want to give you today not as much content from the book of Ephesus. We're going to be doing that over the next three months. But I want to give you the history of how uh, the church at Ephesus actually got started. So again, if you have your Bible, go to Acts 19. If you don't have your Bible, we got most of the verses up here. But it says in Acts 19 and verse 1, it came about that while Apollos was at Corinth, Corinth is on the second journey, it's in Greece, Apollos joins Paul and Paul leaves him behind. Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus. So Paul arrives in Ephesus and it says he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And amazingly enough, when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying, and there were in all about 12 men. Now these are people who had been baptized by John the Baptist into his baptism, which was a baptism of repentance. To repent means to change your mind. That's all it means. And so these were people who had been to Israel at the time of Christ. His cousin John was baptizing. And the idea of baptizing means to be identified with something. And they wanted to be identified with John's back-to-God movement of repentance. You maybe remember in the early chapters of the Gospels, John had quite a following. Now, John was an interesting character. He, he lived in the desert. Uh, he wore camel skin. He ate locusts and honey. Uh, he was a strange duck. But he was the cousin of Jesus, and when Jesus showed up, John said, hey, he's got to increase, I've got to decrease, and basically then John goes away. He's actually killed a few uh, months before Jesus is killed. But they were baptized into a baptism of repentance, but not into a baptism that involved believing in Jesus. 
They had some in information about what was going on, but they didn't have the whole gospel message. Interestingly enough, the baptism of John that they had received had taken place more than 20 years before. You know, we're dealing with about 60 A.D. here when Paul gets to Ephesus, and John started his ministry in about 30 A.D., so really almost 30 years ago that they'd been baptized. Now, I don't know what they'd been doing for 30 years. I mean, you'd think the word would have gotten out. Ephesus was on the main highway, on the main seaway. Everybody in Ephesus knew everything that was going on in the rest of the world, but they just didn't either take the initiative or get the information. But as soon as they got the information, they came to faith. And a manifestation of faith is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You don't get the Holy Spirit until you believe in Jesus. That's true even today, but this is a little bit of a different circumstance. It's not normative for today. But they get the Holy Spirit, and there were 12 men, and they were good people. I'm looking forward to being with them in heaven. Now, Paul not only had a ministry there, but he ends up going to the synagogue. Ephesus had a large number of Jewish people. The Jews had been kicked out of Israel many times in their history, and it would make sense if you were a Jew, especially if you were good financially, because Jewish people have been very blessed at being merchants, and they end up in Ephesus because, again, they got the port, they've got the river, they've got the road system, and it is a place where great wealth gathers. It is the capital of the area. It would kind of like be Tampa in our area. Okay? And so there's a synagogue there. A significant number of Jewish people who are no doubt successful are there. And Paul always goes to the Jews first and then everybody else. It says in entering the synagogue, he continued speaking out boldly for how long? Three months. Now when he was with the 12 earlier guys, he was probably with them for about three minutes. And they come to faith. Three months, he's speaking out, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the multitude, he withdrew from them. There are people like the twelve that we see come into our life. And they know a little bit about Jesus. You know, I meet with people all the time. I mostly work with businessmen. Yeah, when I was a kid, my grandfather was a preacher. Or I went to a youth group. They don't really understand the whole gospel. And when I tell them the way that they can really connect with Jesus, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm in on that. And then there are other people like these guys. You know, it's like shooting against a rock. The bullets just bounce off. No matter what I try, they just don't respond to anything spiritual. And that's how these people were. Now, if anybody knew how to describe Jesus from the Old Testament scriptures, it was Paul. He was a Jew. He was a rabbi. He was well-trained. You know, he could take them through the, the Old Testament and show that Jesus was supposed to be from the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49. He was supposed to be born of a virgin in Micah 5.2. He was going to be born in the city. Um, he was going to sit on the throne of David, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. He was going to be crucified, Psalm 22. He was going to die for the sins of the people, the book of Isaiah chapter 53. Paul could walk them through the Bible, but they, were, they didn't want to hear about it. They were spiritual people. They had some interest, but they absolutely were closed off to the things of the gospel. Three months. Wow. After three months, Paul withdrew, and the verse continues. It says, And he took away the disciples, and reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Say, school of Tyrannus. School of Tyrannus. This took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. That's pretty cool. Now, what is the school of Tyrannus? Well, and it, you know, first of all, Paul spends two years. How long was the third missionary journey? Four years. Two of those years he was teaching in a school. This is kind of like a community college, uh, kind of like going to Kelly Rec and renting the room, really like the YMCA. You go down to the YMCA and they've got courses, courses on CPR, 
courses on how to manage your money. And Paul said, hey, let's rent a room at the school of Tyrannus. We'll have a course about Jesus. And people showed up, and people began to be ministered to. And I think these people uh, were, were like the lay people of today. You know, people get the idea that if you're going to do ministry, you've got to go to Bible college, or you've got to go to the theological seminary. There's nothing wrong with that. And believe me, if you've been to the Bible college or the seminary, you better be doing ministry. But you can be equipped without that. You know, you need to come to small group. You need to come to the walkthrough we're doing at night. You need to get online and find some courses. And you can become equipped like these people were. These are laymen. My guess is most of them have regular jobs. But they hunger for the things of Christ. They want to grow in their knowledge of him. And they want to be equipped to take on their culture. And so that was so successful that over a two-year period, the word of the Lord spread in all of Asia. Asia was that Turkish peninsula on that first map. And again, because Ephesus is the capital of of the area, everybody knows what's going on in that city. So it becomes quite a big movement, and the church in Ephesus continues to grow and grow and grow. Now the next group of people we get are these. It says, and God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. Wow, that's pretty wacky, isn't it? That's pretty amazing. Now, I've been sick many times and I've used a handkerchief. I've never once had one heal me. There are, there are two kinds of teachings in the New Testament. One is prescriptive and one is descriptive this is descriptive text it tells you what happened notice it doesn't say now as a result of this you all ought to go start a handkerchief ministry or you ought to go go into an apron building business this is just describing the events this is not always the norm some people get off on this uh, but but there are definitely prescriptive verses in the book of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5 do this do this do this do this do this there are about ten commands in the book. In fact, in Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Oh, man, that's hard. I love my wife, but only if she loves me. No, how does Christ love the church? With the heart of a servant, with an unconditional willingness to sacrifice. You know, Jesus never walked around and said, I am the head of the church. Husbands, if you say, I am the head of my house, you've lost the battle. So we have prescriptive verses for us, and for you ladies, and for your children, and for your teachers, and for your parent, uh, workers, and for your employers. All that will come later. But here, a lot of stuff is going on because God is blessing Paul and the ministry Paul is having. But also, the middle of the page says, some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempting to name over those who had the evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out. Now, the Jews were given the rites of exorcism. I think in our day we've seen a whole lot more people be willing to understand that evil spirits not only exist, but they can oppress and, in, and, and indwell people. I've seen that happen personally on more than one occasion. Again, in our world, it's a very spiritual thing. And these Jewish exorcists were given by God to the Jewish people because Satan hates the Jewish people. Satan has both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and in our day and age tried to exterminate the Jewish people. 
In the Old Testament, if he can kill off the Jews, he can keep Jesus from coming. In the New Testament, Jesus has great oppression from the devil. The first thing he does is take on Satan in the temptations. And in the days of a guy like Hitler, he tries to exterminate the Jews. The Muslim world hates Israel. They're surrounded by their enemies, primarily because Satan wants to destroy the Jewish people because they will come to look at Messiah when Jesus comes back again. So the exorcists were very important in Israel, and there was a methodology that they had. They would take the name of a demon and plug it into a rabbinical formula. Jesus actually did this on one occasion when he asked the man possessed by the devil, what is your name? And the demon said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Well, the Jewish exorcist would take the name Legion, plug it into a formula, and if God was good, the demon would leave. Well, they're not having great success in Ephesus. Ephesus is overcome with evil spirits. People believed full force in magic. Uh, The goddess Diana, who was later named Artemis, was a statue, and if you visited the temple... Uh, and practice her religion, you would want to buy a a token, an idol. There were thousands of people that made these silver idols of the goddess. She was a fertility goddess. If you see the the pictures and the remains of of the archaeology, she has many, many breasts. She was so fertile that on her own she bore a child. And they would take these silver icons, they would wear amulets, they would cast spells. And again, in our day and age, we have a lot of that going on. You know, we have Wiccan, which is white magic. And teenage girls are, are told, if you'll get practicing this, you can cast good spells. And boys will like you and you'll be popular. It's what, it what, goes, it's what goes on. There are spirits in the spirit world. In fact, right now in this room, there are hundreds of unseen forces. Let me tell you how I know it. I, I've got a phone up here. It's my iPhone, you know. Now, let's just suppose that I dial... Seven random numbers. I'll probably get a number. Or what is it, ten numbers in a phone? Three, three, and four. Ten. But you see, it's important not just to know the number. It's it's important to know who I'm calling. Also, on my phone, I have bars. I'm connected to the TBA Wi-Fi. You can't get there unless you know the what? Password. You see, the password for us is Jesus. And that connects us to the spirit world in in the good sense. We get to know the Holy Spirit. We need to get to know the Spirit of the Lord. But there are a lot of spirits out there that aren't the good spirits. And so these are evil spirits, and the Jewish exorcists are having some success casting out new demons in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preached. And then this, to me, the next verses, are the strangest and funniest verses in the New Testament. It says in Ephesians 19 and verse 14, And seven sons of one Sceva, say Sceva. Sceva was a Jewish chief priest were doing this. Imagine he's a Jewish man, he's got seven boys. I had four sons, that was enough. He had seven sons and they took up the family business. They were exorcists. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? It's just weird. You know, I'm, how many have seen The Three Amigos? Best movie in the history of movies. If you haven't seen it, rent it. There's a great scene in that movie. It has all sorts of theology in the movie. And El Guapo, the bandito, sees one of the amigos fall from the sky, and he says, Who the blank are you? That's kind of this evil spirit. I know Jesus. He's been ki- killing us forever, and Paul's kicking our butt here in Ephesus. Who in the world are you? One of the sons of Sceva. Come on! And so the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them 
So they ran out of the house half naked and wounded. To me, I mean, if you were trying to make up the Bible, you wouldn't put that in there. That's just too weird. You know, next time a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, get yourself some fake blood or ketchup, wrap a sheet around your waist, and run out you know, bleeding and wounded and screaming, Ah! They won't come back. The seven sons of Sceva are in trouble. All this is going on at Ephesus because there's a spiritual warfare taking place in that city. And this became known. I bet it did. <laughs> to all, both the Jews and the Greeks who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them. And the name of Jesus was being what? Magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming and confessing and disclosing their practices. So the church is growing. People are coming to Jesus and they're saying, you know, I came out of this background of idolatry. I came out of this background of the spirituality thing. Again, spirituality is huge in our world. Everybody has spirituality. But they're coming out of that and they're saying, this is what I was involved in. And so they get together and of their own volition, many of these who had practiced magic and brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all. Again, they, in, the, in, the, in the library at Ephesus, we've got ancient scrolls with prayers and incantations. You know, you can buy books of prayer, beautiful prayers. They're not necessarily praying to the God of the Bible, but it's, again, the world that we live in. And they counted up the price of them, and they found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Wow. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. There is in Ephesus a movement of the Spirit of God. This is not legalism. This is not the preacher getting up and saying, you've got to give up this and this and this and this. This is people saying, you know, I'm turning my back on that. Now what do we have in our lives as idols? Some of us have amulets and some of us have incantations and some of us have little statues. I mean, I grew up in a Catholic world. A lot of my buddies were Catholic growing up and there was one medal they had to wear around their neck being Catholic that if you died with that medal on, you were going right to heaven. It was kind of like the hall pass. Oh, no matter what you've done, you're in. I got buddies who would never, I mean, they wouldn't play their game without the medal because they were sure that that was, the, that was the ticket in. They had the amulets. Some of you have stuff like that. Some of us, I have no idea who, are big into sports, and we got all the sports paraphernalia, and we worship at the altar of college athletics. Maybe you're a NASCAR fan. I, you know, I don't get it. Turn left, turn left, turn left, turn left. To me, that's not a sport. If you want to drive 500 miles, let's go from here to Atlanta. See how 75 stacks up then. But, you know, if that's what you're into, that, that can become an idol for you. Sometimes your education can be the idol. I'm educated beyond my intelligence. Sometimes it's our kids. They become the idol. Sometimes it's our work. It becomes the idol. Whatever takes the place of God in your life becomes the idol. And these guys said, hey, I'm going to take whatever that was and I'm going to burn it. I'm going to get rid of it. And, boy, the word gets out. In fact, the word really gets out with the metal workers' union. Imagine if you're one of the guys making the silver statues of Artemis, Artemis, the goddess Diana, and all of a sudden business has slowed way down. Imagine if we rented the stadium in Tampa at Ray J and, and thousands of people showed up and they burned all their junk that they didn't need. You know, the people that make the T-shirts would be in very bad shape. Of course, we'd sell T-shirts to that event. <laughs> at, that way, at that time, there arose no 
small disturbance concerning the way. The way is what Christianity was called for the first few years it existed. So now we're in Ephesus, we're going to have a riot. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades, and then he said, men, you know that our prosperity depends on this business. You see, there are those who practice spirituality, and they're in it for the money. Oh, these people are believing in this. I can sell stuff. You know, if you've ever gone to the, one of those places where the image of Jesus shows up, whether it's on a potato chip or on a building, you know, people sell stuff. Religious people sell stuff. You know, some people are in ministry for the money. You know, there are several in our world today, guys like Benny Hinn, pretty much in it for the money. I don't really know what Benny believes, but he's all about the money. And so that goes on in their world, it goes on in our world. We call them the, the prosperity gospel guys. And so Demetrius causes a stir. He gets everybody in the square all fired up, and they cram into the 30,000-seat auditorium up there. I'm going to read you some other verses because I don't have them on the text. It says, but, it says, uh, as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. Why the nerve of that guy? And of course he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but the entire province. I'm concerned, says this guy, that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence, and oh, by the way, will be broke. So two of Paul's buddies go into the crowd, and they're going to try to speak, and they get hushed up, shouted down. And Paul, you know, I love Paul. Paul's an old guy by now. And he says, you know, we got 30,000 Ephesians there. we got the steel workers, we got the goddess worshipers, and we got the sports fans all in one place. In fact, one of the verses says, let me read this to you. It says, in fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. we got the Americans going. <laughs> why am I there? I don't know. Yeah. You, ever, you know, just think about that. If, if you wanted to have some fun, what we could do is, when, when we dismiss from here, we could walk out to 540A, okay, and then turn our backs to the traffic and everybody go. <laughs> and I guarantee you that within a couple hours, we'd have twice as many people there. And within, I think by dinner time, we'd have Bay, New, Bay News 9 on the, on the case. Do this sometime. It's cool. Go into an elevator with some friends, and when it's empty, turn around and look up into the corner of the elevator. And the next person that gets on the elevator, you know what they're going to do? That's just how people are. People are sheep. And these 30,000 sheep are in the, in, the, in the theater at Ephesus. And the crowd realized that Alexander was a Jew, and they started screaming, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Say that. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Again. Great is Artemis of... Again. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! That went on for two hours. Wow. It's like, we love Artemis. Yes, we do. We love Artemis. How about you? <laughs> this is just a circus. And Paul wants to go in, and some of, the, some of his best friends said, Paul, not a good idea. They'll kill you. And so they bas I'm sure they had to bodily remove Paul. Finally, the mayor got up in front of the whole crowd, and he said, you know, if Paul's done this, uh, we can take him to court. Why don't we just all go home? And I think after two hours of screaming, they, they were ready to go home. 
Now, we're going to study the book of Ephesus over the next three months. And we're going to go through just about every verse in the book. You know, the book of, of Ephesians is, is designed to teach us that Jesus is the Lord. And we're to be rich in him. We're to be in Christ. We have every spiritual blessing in him. The book of Ephesians says, you know, Jesus came into a world that practices spirituality. And there are evil spirits who want to destroy the image bearers of God. And the church has been specifically placed in the world to do spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, Put on the whole armor of God in order that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul says, For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against rulers, against powers, against world forces, against darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly place. Guys, we're in a spiritual warfare. And the book of Ephesians is designed to equip us to win in the spiritual battle and more importantly to, to win our friends that don't know Jesus yet over to Christ. And we have the same kinds of people in Lakeland, Florida that they did in Ephesus. We have people like the Twelve. Yeah, they knew a little bit about Jesus. They didn't know the gospel, and our job is to share the gospel with them, and, and they're going to come away soon to come to, come to Jesus because God's prepared their hearts. And then we have other people that are people like the Jews in the synagogue who are stubborn and, 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 and ill-equipped and, and, and blinded spiritually to the, to the truth of Christ. And no matter what we do to try to argue them to our position, all we really can do is step back and love them. And then there are people in our town like the seven sons of Sceva who, you know, they want to jump through the religious motions but they really don't have a clue who Jesus is. They might say Christian things and wear Christian clothes and do outward activities, but they don't know him. And they might end up being bloody and naked before it's all over. And so again, our job is to love them and share the gospel of Jesus with them. Another group of people are the ones who are into spiritual things, but just for the money. You know, it's okay to be spiritual as long as you can make a living at it. But, the, you know, the great thing is also in our town, there are people like the students in the school of Tyrannus. And they, they wanted more. They wanted to learn. They wanted to grow. They wanted to be equipped. And that's what we ought to be about, equipping people to go out into a world of spiritual darkness with the light that is the light of the world that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So as the band comes, I've got two action steps for you. Number one, we pray for the people in your Ephesus. There are people all over our lives that are clouded by spiritual darkness. Will you pray for them? Will you remember regularly that it's not about their evil, it's about the spiritual evil that affects them? They are not the enemy, they're the victims of the enemy. And we're to speak the truth in love and pray for them in love, and be concerned for them in love. Our goal is to depopulate hell and to populate heaven. That's why we exist at TBA. And the second thing is, would you do this for us? Would you read the book of Ephesians regularly? Let me give you a strategy. This is a short book. There's only six chapters. But would you commit to read one chapter a day, Monday through Saturday, and then maybe on Sunday as you have a little time, read the whole book? Just one chapter a day, Monday through Saturday, and then read the whole book on Sunday. It won't take you too long. And by the end of March, or I'm sorry, by the end of the three-month period, you will have read through the whole book of Ephesians a whole bunch of times, and the studies and the sermons and the messages you hear will take on a whole added meaning. Would you do that? Would you pray with me? Father, 
Thank you for Paul that he was willing to go into a spiritually dark world and bring your light. And I pray you would equip us as people who love you to be committed to bring your light to, to our world. We live in a world so much like that of Ephesus. We're in a strategic place at a strategic time in a world which says spirituality is good, but it really doesn't matter who you pray to as long as you pray. No, that's not right. Father, when we get on the phone, we, we want to dial your number. We want to have your password, Jesus. We thank you that in him we have access to the throne of God. In Jesus' name, amen.